Hi, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World, bi-weekly comics podcast recorded live in the offices of Publishers Weekly in Manhattan, New York. Uh, I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the co-editor of PW Comics World newsletter, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And joining me this week is Kate Fitzsimmons. That's me. Uh, their podcast producer, and unfortunately, Calvin Reed will not be with us here in person this week. I know. It's he is reporting live from South by Southwest. Yes, I know. I don't know. If, have we ever done one just you and I before? No, we haven't. We've always had Calvin in, even if remotely. So this will be a new process. This is so awesome. We're doing it without Calvin butting in. I, it's so crazy. All right. Well, uh, it just so happens that it's a jam-packed week of news. There's so much going on that there's things we're barely going to be able to touch on. And this week on More to Come, we have How to Submit to Comixology, The Secrets of the Kindle Fire, uh, OMG to WTFDC, um, Kickstarter in the news with all sorts of scandal, and uh, what's too old for comics? Emerald City kicking off. Calvin from South by Southwest, and so much more. Uh, so, but probably the biggest news of the week, although it's hard to say, there's so much of it, but um, I think what's probably the, the biggest is Comixology finally launching its submit portal just in time for South by Southwest. I mean, the great thing about Comixology submit is that now, no matter how much of a Luddite you are, you have no excuse for uh, not putting your comics online to be sold. I mean, you still could not do it, but now you don't even need to know how to make it into a digital comic. Yeah. You just need to scan your art, upload, press the little upload button, and press submit. That's right, that's right. And you Comixology have, will take care of it for you. You have access to the Magic Elves now of, uh, by submitting uh, your, your comics to their portal. Now, they do have an approval process. They also have a very long terms of service, and uh, a lot of people are asking, you know, what's in it for me? Who owns what? Um, I, I do think it, it's owned, as far as I can make out, I haven't actually read them. I've only read people commenting on them. But as far as I can make out, uh, of course, you retain all ownership of your material. However, there's a 50-50 revenue split um, through the comics that are sold through Comixology's apps. And uh, also, you cannot, somebody already asked, can I do ads in them? Like, you know, can I run an ad in my comic and sell the ad and then do it on Comixology? And the answer is no, you can't do that. So, um, you know, they definitely have rules. They're definitely going to be looking at things and seeing what gets uploaded. So, but, but, I mean, I actually read the contracts, uh, although I have no legal knowledge more than any other layman. But it seems like fairly fair terms. I mean, I think... The fact that it was really long and contained legally scared people. Right. And it's true that 50-50 is less than what you get if you sold it yourself and built your own app. But if you need Comixology Submit, guess what? You're not building your own app. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Although I'm not really sure how the Submit works. Like, have they digitized it all? Or are there, in fact, Comixology employees who then digitize it for you. Well, I think the reason why they announced it is that they are uh, rolling it out at South by Southwest and they're having a big panel there, so I'm sure more questions will be answered. Um, there's been uh, a couple of interviews up uh, with, people already have their comics on it. Shannon Wheeler has mm -hmm. one, um, Marv Wolfman has one, um, so they're already getting material out there. 
but I mean, y- you know, quibbles aside, I, I mean, I think Comic Sans. Yeah, I mean, Comic Sans is a pretty proven entity at this point. Um, it has. Uh, it, it's not that they're ripping anyone yeah. off. Uh, that's I've pretty heard clear some at this point. Grumbles by some people like, oh, well, they're going to be the only portal because this isn't going to be so easy, so no one's ever going to use anything else. To which all I can say is. Nothing's stopping any of the other digital comics companies for having a submit yeah, either. That's right. And I mean, the comics audience is very far from a monopoly. I mean, Marvel just, you know, announced their expansion of their whole unlimited thing today, uh, where, you know, which is where you subscribe and you get their comics. That More the, on this later in this yes, podcast. Yes, later in this podcast. But, uh, you know, I mean, this, honestly, I, I'm just I, I, looking back at our newsletters, looking back at my, my website, looking back at slideshows I do, like, our evolution on digital is so fast and so... It's astonishing it is. quick. In a year's time, everyone will be doing this. In a year's time, there'll be, like, you know, uh, tons of ways to put your comics up there. I mean, because people have been talking about this for a while. I mean, I'm happy to see Comixology jump on it, because I think they handle things very well. And I mean, I think that the reason that they are dominating the industry, it's not like they have some magic or some magic connections or something. It's because they're very good at what they do. Exactly. And they've been playing fair with folks and, um, you know, doing well. So, anyway, this is it. You can get your comics on apps. And in two years' time, every single comic will be on apps and on every platform imaginable. But, Kate, I understand that you had a close encounter of the... Digital uh, kind. Of the digital kind, yes. Yes. Um, thanks to my roommate, I have gotten my hands on a Kindle Fire. And in some ways, it's an amazing comic reading experience. I mean, the device itself, like whoever built it and programmed it, it's great for comics reading. Even if the screen is smaller than the average comics page, it's not significantly enough smaller, and the, the definition is strong enough that you can read a normal-sized comic page without zooming or, or anything. It's, it's clear. It's beautiful. Um, you can, there are a lot of apps where you can upload, say, PDF comics or, you know, things that you may have saved in a CBR, not that we're advocating this. Uh, I, I had a lot of, um, PDFs that I got off one of those Marvel CDs. They were just sitting around. They were just sitting around. No, I, I, no, I bought them. I mean, they're great. They're, They're an amazing bargain. Buy them before they all sell out. Um, which have been sitting on my computer, and uh, my computer's not that great for reading them. I uploaded them to the Kindle Fire. They read beautifully. I mean, these, like, 60-year-old pages are suddenly, like, crystal clear. It's great. You can see, like, the little problems in the news. So, but then I thought, well, what about the stuff native to this, not the stuff you upload yourself? So, um, supposedly, way back in December... Marvel was like, hey guys, hey guys, we're going to make Marvel Digital Unlimited accessible on your iPad and on your Android devices. So I thought, hey, it's March. By now, it's got to be working, right? (laughs) No. And then I thought, well, okay, fine. My Marvel Digital Unlimited subscription, which I love, by the way, is not currently working on this. That's kind of a downer. But at least I'll get their Android app. They have one of those, right? Right. Well, they they do, but good luck getting it through the Kindle Android marketplace for whatever reason. You can't do it. Um, And then all these other uh, digital comic selling services, I thought, well, surely they will have their apps on the Kindle marketplace. Yes? Um, Comixology did. I couldn't find anybody else. Right, right. Um, and Comixology's worked beautifully. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was wonderful. It was a great experience. But um, everybody else, catch up. Because a lot of Kindle Fires sold. They're great for reading comics. Mm-hmm. If you make your comics available on them, people will read them. 
Right, right. But it seems like it's you're, saying, you're saying basically way. Kindle. I mean, Comicsology being available is great, but but you're saying that other apps, other like, apps are, are not, not catching up. Right. I, like it may be that they are available in the Android marketplace, and if you go into the Android marketplace website, and download it there, blah 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 blah. You can put it on your Kindle Fire. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but the Kindle Fire has its own app store. Right, right, and right. Nobody sure. else's apps are in there. There's Comixology, and then there are a bunch of things that'll like allow you to read your pre-existing PDF comics. Right, sure, like an iBook store or something like that, right? But um, although that's not on the Kindle, it's not even an iBook store. It's right. like yeah. But um, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week about how comics need to get iTunes. They need to have a universal service where you can download uh, your music and own it. That's another thing that's very important about this because with all the DRM and we know how software and we know how software comes and goes so fast. And I mean, there's already services that where you bought things and they were gone. They're gone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, oh, um, yeah. so uh, I mean, we're working. Being able to download an archive is important. Well, there is a lot of stuff that's happening with comics at this weekend South by Southwest Interactive Festival, and we'll have Calvin later to tell us about some of that stuff. So, um, as we, Kate and I are talking, we don't yet know the details. So it's very intriguing. But, um, you know, towards the universal standard, towards the iTunes and comics, I mean, that's that's where we really need to get to, where you can just sit down, download your stuff, and read it on multiple platforms. And not just the iTunes and comics, but specifically the way iTunes is toward music. Because for a long time, iTunes put, like, giant piles of DRM on everything. Right. And then they backed off that. And now your, you know, MP3 or whatever is, or AAC is an MP3. And you can play it. And you can put it on something that... Apple has no contact with that you have not signed into iTunes on and you can just play it. Right. And frankly, I think we need that for digital comics so that you know securely this file that you have bought, that you've downloaded, that if it goes belly up or they change their standards or something screws up with the DRM, which by the way, DRM breaks very often and then makes it hard to read something you paid right. for. Giant pain in the right. butt. And you know, pirates they know how to crack all that stuff, dudes. Don't. I mean, don't, pirates I mean, don't even bother. Yeah, I know. I mean, so it's it's really just making the, your product less attractive to the people who want to pay you money for exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Well, anyway, speaking of product, uh, we also have this week um, DC from oh, OMG dear. to WTF. Uh, Kate, you want to explain this? Yes. So okay comics does have a long tradition of killing people off and then sometimes bringing them back. Comics and death, it's like ice cream and cones. Yeah. But, you know, comics also has a tradition of, like, ridiculously young kids' sidekicks. Oh, dear. Yes. And, I mean, things that are disturbing enough when they happen to, like, a 16-year-old character, when they happen to a 10-year-old, are... Yeah. Bad. Um... I mean, yes, he's a fictional 10-year-old, but even so, fans were shocked when DC killed off uh, Damien Wayne, a.k.a. the world's worst Robin. <laughs> I say that with affection. Like, you know, he was raised by doting supervillains. He's not going to necessarily get the superhero thing right all the time. But, you know, for all he was an obnoxious little twerp, people loved him for his obnoxious little twerpness. And um, Grant Morrison... Uh, who I guess felt like I pretty much brought you into the world character, I can take you out of it, decided it was time to kill off little Damien. Well, Morrison, I mean, he created a story for uh, the original Batman and Robin run, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, I mean, the character, I'm not sure how much he had to do with the character 
existing in the first right, place. Right. But he was heavily caught up in the history right. of his character. Well, basically, I th- wasn't it that um, uh, Tanya, Tanya and Batman had hooked up a long time ago? Tilly, like, uh, well, there's there's some... Let's put it this way. They had... By hooked up, if you mean... Um, they made a time, baby cake, they, come on! Well, what I meant is is <laughs> that like um, she date-raped him. Um, even yeah. though they had had voluntary sex in the past... Clearly, that was not dark enough. She date-raped him. Right. Anyway. But anyway, they did the thing that makes a baby, all right? And then in an she old used comic. a test tube. In an old comic, but uh, but anyway. So I think that it was Morrison had found this this relationship and decided, you know, what if there was a kid? And what if he was raised by supervillains? And Damien became a very... Uh, I think he was a great character. I mean, he was a character you loved to hate because he was such an awful little brat, you know? And, and it was nice that he wasn't perfect. I yes. mean, when they first brought him on, Fans were like, oh, God, he's going to be better at everything than everyone. And, like, it'll be the biological kid is better than the adopted ones. And it was exactly the opposite. Right. It was the adopted ones are, relatively speaking, by bat standards, well-adjusted. <laughs> and Damien was raised by supervillains. What do you expect? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, I mean, I think the point is, like, the character had a, an interesting genesis. And I think Morrison really did have a storyline yeah, in, in, in mind for him. Yes, and, he and, had a very strong influence over this and, character, and, an arc and vision for yeah, him. And in the, so in the but, last issue, he was... Um, but here's uh, the thing. Damien is still, as a character, is 10 years old. Right. And um, so Morrison had Damien killed off in this issue by his evil clone. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's comics. It, it happens. And so it's true that the person beating the 10-year-old to a bloody pulp, I mean, like, he didn't just die with, like, a bullet to the head. I mean, it was, like, several panels of horrible, brutal death. Yeah, I love how, you know, Gwen Stacy plunges off a bridge, and in one panel she's dead, whereas, you know, nowadays it's, like, five or six pages of, you know, well, blood Well, I mean, I think some of that's also Morrison's personal approach. Right, right. Which, I mean, I think a lot of people were, frankly, soured on by this, mm-hmm. because it's one thing when you see this happen to an adult character, or even a quasi-adult character. But when you see a 10-year-old character who looks 10, you know, be brutalized, um, you know, it it really well, is very hard to read. Yeah, I know, but I... I, 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 I look, I'm not saying it's not question, something I'm saying, you I don't do. think it was meant to be... Uh, I mean, I think it was meant to be brutal. I mean, it was. Well, meant, I'm also, sure it was. Also, I, I mean, if you've ever read my favorite take on this is Rick Veach's classic miniseries Brat Pack, which is all about teenage superhero sidekicks. You know, and I, I mean, I think, uh, I think Morrison is smart enough to know that. Oh, I know that, exactly yeah, what yeah. more. I mean, I'm not saying Morrison doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Sure, he knows what he's doing, but the fact that he knows what he's doing doesn't mean that. Other people will enjoy what he's doing. Is right, what I'm right, saying. Right. So, so it was basically um, not taken particularly well by fans. Although, frankly, this is like probably the least sticky death ever. No matter what Morrison wants, one way or the other. Right. Because, hello, his mother and grandfather are the Al Ghouls who own Lazarus Pit, right. DC's favorite method for bringing people back since 1970. Whatever. <laughs> Um, Resurrecting superheroes since 1977. And also, he was killed by his own clone. So, I mean, where there's one clone, there's another. I always say that. So, you know, I mean, there's so many ways to bring Damien back. Yeah. But in the meantime, but everybody's in, wondering, will the new Robin be a girl? Yeah. I think at this point, a lot of people have just been like, Robin, merry-go-round. Because <laughs> the fact of the matter is that... Like, it seems like anyone who was introduced as Robin after Tim, like, is not really 
Robin in the heads of the editors at DC so they can feel free to, like, kill them off or have Batman be a complete jerk to them. I mean, right. it's the relationship between Batman and his last two Robins, well, depending on how you count Robins, was not as uh, traditionally close as Batman's well, Robin you, relationship well, tend really to be. You really only love like that once, you know, you can't Well, really... he did three times, <laughs> so I'm not sure where four and five were any different. <laughs> Although, admittedly, Damien's brat. But still, um, I think... I think fans are emotionally investing a little less mm -hmm. because, I mean, people who were through the whole Stephanie Brown thing were just like, yeah, whatever, and are not even, like, dealing with it. They're just like, yeah, Morrison. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, but meanwhile, of course, the new generation of, of teenagers who only ever knew Damien are like, OMG, WTF, they right, killed Robin. Right, right, um, I mean, I, I don't know this was particularly well advised, but it's, you know, it's very comics. Yeah, um, it is. And uh, speak, speaking of comics, uh, our other... Uh, DC, you know, uh, yes, Omega and Robin, but we also have uh, other w things that have to do with WTF. WTF. Well, WTF was to be an actual event at DC Comics. Uh, yes, WTF, and they were going to have the word WTF stamped on, on the cover. They of actually every had a comic. logo. They actually had a logo that was going to be on there, and they, for April's comics, which are gatefold covers, which means they fold out. And as I put and it on, supposed the, to be shocking on, gatefold on, covers. Yes, on the uh, on the. Um, as I put it on my website, I guess the front was the what the part, and the, when you turned it over, you saw the part. So, uh, you know, we'll do the honk honk there. But um, anyway, I saw a lot of people, if you thought beating a 10-year-old to death was controversial, way do you put WTF on the front of a comic? And uh, a lot of people felt this was ill-advised and sort of in bad taste. And, you know, what were they going to say in this place? What if a parent saw it? And um, not only that, like, what was the point of this exercise anyway? Right. So apparently down at the Comics Pro uh, retailer meeting where all the publishers went, there was a DC day. And apparently a lot of retailers said, you know what, we don't think this is the greatest thing ever. And uh, then afterwards, they announced that they weren't going to do it. They were still going to have the gatefold, so they'll have the shocking reveals on the gatefold. But uh, they're not going to call it WTF anymore. And so, you know, sometimes you sit around in a room, very much as we are now, and you come up with what you think is a great idea that's going to get people talking. And then it gets people talking a little bit But not in the much. way you were hoping. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I give a big thumbs up to DC yeah, for coming to their Yeah, I think it takes a certain there. bravery to, before you actually go all the way in, to just go, you know, maybe if everyone says it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. And then you don't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, um, you know, there's a, it depends on a lot of things, a lot of factors. But anyway, so no more WTF. Um, At least not officially. Yes. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's move on because we have so much news to talk about. Speaking All right. of things that are All WTF. Right. Oh, so, yeah, this week in Kickstarter. Well, oh, dear. Just to it was a this banner week. week. It was a banner week. But uh, right now, kicking off Kickstarter. Remember, Kickstarter was just something you did with your bike. Well, now it's a whole new class of of uh, ways to publish and a whole new business is setting up about it. Um, as we know, there have been many successful comics Kickstarters in uh, the last 12 months, and one of them was a book called Sullivan Sluggers, and which was a beautiful-looking book drawn by James Stokoe and written by Mark Andrew Smith about a ragtag minor league baseball team that must play the game of its life against a race of alien monsters. 
And if you know James Stokoe's art, you know he loves to draw alien monsters. So this was one heck of a beautiful book. However, it's supposed to come out for an image. And then it didn't. And then there was a Kickstarter for it, uh, which was successful, raising $97,000. Now, that's what we know. That's what seems clear. But in the past few days, it's like a Pandora's box of problems. Um, based, the first being international shipping, well, which is a bear. Well, a lot of people, we've mentioned this before on here, but a lot of people are, there are beginning to be some complaints about Kickstarters that aren't being fulfilled. And I mean, this is only natural because a lot of these are not, you know, I think when Kickstarter first started, a lot of observers are like, wow, well, that's easy money. You're just going to take all that money and sit there and draw your comic. Well, to do with a successful Kickstarter, you have to offer so many rewards. You must ship these rewards. You must get the rewards signed. You must you draw people into your comic. You know, I mean, so a lot of these Kickstarter rewards involve going to lunch, going to dinner, and going to supper. I mean, it's very complicated. So Smith, the writer of the book, who's running the Kickstarter, uh, suddenly realized that he'd only charged $10 for international shipping. And that wasn't enough, so he claimed. And a lot of people hadn't well, gotten their, kicks, their books yet, even though it had been printed. And so he did something rather interesting. He started a second Kickstarter with a goal of a dollar and with the exact same reward levels as the first Kickstarter. So in other words, if you paid $35, you would now get your copy of this oversized, beautiful print edition of Sullivan Sluggers. And if you paid $50, you would get that in a t-shirt and so on and so forth. Well, a lot of people cried foul over this. Yeah, well, there's been one thing with Kickstarters that there have been a lot of people coming up with creative ways to use Kickstarter, and Kickstarter frequently saying, that's too creative for us, please stop <laughs> right. now. Um, and this was one of those cases. Well, uh, you're expressly not supposed to no. use Kickstarter to As sell standing inventory. That is absolutely not what Kickstarter is for. Yes. So the fact that It he, has already started, it no longer needs to kick. Right. So the fact that he was selling standing inventory uh, struck some as odd. Um, what struck some others as odd was that he was already the book was already available through retailers because he had made such a large overprint available that he... Wait, he made a huge overprint available and yet not everyone who pre-ordered got it? Right. That's kind so, of tacky. So that's why the comments suddenly blew up on that. And then adding to all of it, uh, just revelations have become fast and furious. Uh, the artist on the book admitted that he had only been paid a page rate and had nothing to do with the book itself. And, you know, he had disavowed himself of the Kickstarter. You know, that's... But that's not unreasonable. That's not unreasonable. That's, you know, I mean... He, it, he it, got paid up front. He got paid up front. I mean, that's that's fine. Um, but then Mark Andrew Smith responded with this uh, post blaming Stokoe for ruining his marriage, making Wait, him lose what? his house... I missed that uh, part. Ruining his life. <laughs> um, That's pretty epic. Yeah, like all this because he was very slow on the book. And again, I mean, this is a guy who is slow that we're talking about. So but if it's, you had bet your money on him turning in all his work in a speedy fashion, then, if, you know, if you put your house up as collateral for that, that was a pretty unwise move, I think. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know how his marriage figures into this, but... Um, I feel uh, like whatever your marriage has to do with your comic, you probably should not put that on the internet. Right. Well, it turned out I was just doing a little research before we even did this uh, podcast. And, well, first off, the second Kickstarter has been suspended by Kickstarter. Yes. So they're no longer doing that. Yes. And also, I recalled, as many have actually on the internet, this isn't even the first time this has happened with Smith. Um, in 2008, really? he did a book called... Well, Kickstarter didn't exist then. Well, of course not. But, but in 2008, there was a book called Aqualung that he wrote, and uh, an artist named Paul Mayberry drew, and they had a similar falling out. 
uh, except that, and and Smith said very similar things about Mayberry, like ruining his life and oh, sending people to be thugs. That's and very dudes. awkward. And and so I mean, it's like you know, I, I it, maybe there is this this vast conspiracy arrayed against Mark Andrew Smith. That, or you know, maybe he's just paranoid. Yeah, or maybe, I don't know, there's a huge piece. I have a big piece up. There's a big piece on, a piece on Comics Alliance. I mean, there's a lot of people just talking about this. And I do recommend David Brothers, because he's been like the Inspector Javert of this whole thing. But it raises the question, are people going to lose faith in Kickstarter for comics? I don't think so. I mean, I think people who might have invested too much faith in it will scale back their expectations somewhat. Right. But, I mean, I think Kickstarter was always very clear that this is not just a shopping mall. Right. That you are investing in, in art, in an idea, and sometimes that will work, and sometimes that will not work, because it is a product that, right. by its very definition, does not exist yet. Exactly. Um, you know, otherwise you wouldn't need Kickstarter. Yeah, it's called Etsy, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to mention print on demand. Right. Which, uh, frankly, I think a lot of Kickstarter would do well to use. Yeah, well, anyway. I mean, everybody's got a different way to go see the same thing. Um, you, you know, but I, I mean, I think this is kind of the, the... Well, there was an earlier Kickstarter for um, Alex DeCampi's book that was very controversial because the artist was removed halfway through. But uh, this is kind of the second big controversial Kickstarter. Well, and I wonder if it doesn't even have anything to do with Kickstarter at all, but that because suddenly you're in the position of being the investor, you see all the things that normally mm -hmm. are covered That's by right. the screen right. of the comics industry. That's where right. you're just like, oh, somebody else is on the book, wonder why, oh well. <laughs> Whereas if you're writing your little Kickstarter updates or things suddenly... Everyone knows who thinks whose marriage got doomed by what. And, by the way, guys, pro tip, if you want to, like, sweep something under the rug, fevered accusations of betrayal are a really good way to show up on everyone's gossip radar. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, uh, just to, to put more Kickstarter, though, uh, like, the, the fastest... Uh, funded Kickstarter ever this uh, in comics is also this week. It's uh, Iron Dresden Beyond Kodak. For Dresden Kodak is very popular. Um... Uh, fantasy comic, and um, you know these web comic folks just have way better track record uh, that getting a lot of this stuff out. Although Rich Burlew and his Order of the Stick has had some setbacks, you know he hurt his thumb badly. But um, Aaron Diaz is doing something for Dresden Kodak um, that is super smart. He's using uh, a new pilot program by Tapatico called We Make Things. I think we might have mentioned this last week, as a matter of fact. But anyway, he's using it to. Uh, to fulfill his Kickstarter. So there's this... Kick smart man. Very, very smart. And uh, smart, smart, smart Topatico to put out a uh, I mean, Kickstarter fulfillment house. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the obvious but way to go. Anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, giving you some numbers on Dresden Kodak, um, these numbers, thanks to the beat, within a day, <laughs> it had over... $189,000 with 27 days still to go, and the initial goal was $30,000. Right. So, you know, those are some pretty good numbers. Right, and he's definitely uh, set a reasonable goal and has exceeded that reasonable goal by far. Um, well, you know what, moving on, because we have so much to talk about. Uh, one other thing that was in much in the news this week was ageism in comics with Jerry Ordway and, um, you know, older creators. I mean, not even that old. Like, the dude's, like, probably 50. I mean, that's not really that old, to be honest. But uh, just getting work. And uh, I know this is a big topic, but uh, I think 
Uh, we'll wait till Calvin's back to talk about that, because uh, I know he has some real opinions on this matter. Um, but but speaking of Calvin, he's off at South by Southwest, so let's hear from him. Um, well, yeah, yeah, this is Calvin Reed, and uh, we're here at South by Southwest Interactive uh, once again, and it's my pleasure. We're talking with uh, Aaron Pogren, co-founder of Symbolia, the illustrated tablet. No, the, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mangled it, even though I practiced before you got here. That's totally fine. I mean, it's a mouthful. Yeah, maybe you could uh, tell us. Sure. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Symbolia, the tablet magazine of illustrated journalism. We're an iPad and PDF journal that publishes long-form non-fiction comics that mix, and we mix interactive elements in, animation, and audio uh, to try and present a cohesive story package. Right, and the, uh, the, the app slash magazine, it launched in December. Um, I did a story about it for Publishers Weekly. Uh, and, of course, uh, you sort of launched it last year at South by Southwest uh, with, a, with a comics journalism panel. So, really, this is a chance to check back in and see how the magazine is doing and what's next. Well, first off, happy friendiversary, Calvin. It's so nice to see <laughs> yes, you again. It's yes, been yeah. one year. Um, yeah, so last year we had just secured our first round of funding to get Symbolia off the ground and were able to announce that Symbolia was coming at Southwest yeah. and that this mm -hmm. was going to exist and be a thing. Since then, um, I found a co-founder, uh, Joyce Rice. She's a really fantastic uh, graphic designer and interactive developer based in Chicago. Uh, we put out our first issue, our second issue, our like first official paid issue, um, just went out last month, and we're closing up our third issue. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's we're, great. Yeah, it's really yeah. exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, this year, we've got a lot of really great things planned, a lot of which is focused on building up Symbolia as a business, mm -hmm. uh, not just looking at the best ways to publish comics, but how we can provide a variety of services for comics makers, comics creators, right. folks that are interested in digital publishing, and beyond, we're going from publication mm -hmm. to empire. <laughs> well, on that note, what you obviously you have a plan, obviously, to, to monetize. Uh, in, in, if I may use the buzzword, um, how's that going? How are your subscriptions? Sure. So subscriptions are our first source of revenue, and we are on track for our goal of three thousand subscribers within our first twelve months. Uh, things are proceeding almost perfectly. It's really, really fantastic to see our rate of growth. That's great. Moving it just as I need it to be moving. Uh, but at the same time, we also want to be bringing in other channels of revenue. We are firmly committed to paying comics creators and journalists that participate in Symbolia and that contribute their excellent work to us. But our rates need to go up. Like, mm -hmm. We also need to be able to pay ourselves. We want this to be like a full-time sure. industry thing. So we're looking at other ways to bring in money, and that includes consulting with other media organizations Great. around story strategy, how other media outlets could be um, reaching millennials and new diverse audiences with comics uh, and other interactive pieces, uh, helping organizations put on tablets, things like that. Uh, so we're really excited to be able to start with comics and branch out and provide all of these services that not only benefit creators and increase paid work for creators, but also kind of expand the experimentation in the media field. This is great. Uh, are you getting feedback from uh, from the readers and from your subscribers? Yeah, feedback has been overwhelmingly mm -hmm. positive. In fact, uh, the only really negative feedback that we've gotten is that we aren't on Android yet, and that's why mm -hmm. we offer yeah. the PDF subscription, because mm -hmm. that's something that's coming, and it's coming very, very soon. Right. Um, like, within a couple of weeks, we'll be making an announcement about 
availability on other devices. We're just waiting on a few a few gatekeepers yeah. to give us the okay. Great. Um, tell us a little bit about the next issue, and because each issue will have a theme. Each issue has a theme. Uh, the issue that just came out is called We Don't Belong, and it explores sort of social belonging, family structures. Uh, through different pieces from around the world. Our next issue is called The Mating Ritual, and it explores sex relationships and interesting sort of interpersonal... Um, relations? Relations. <laughs> you know, of a variety, the, I, I assume. The things that we do. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and it includes everything from a piece on uh, the development of AI for sex bots to... Uh, a sort of profile of the founder of the Museum of Copulatory Organs in Sydney, Australia. I love it. Uh, the sex issue, I, you know what? Give the people what they want. Exactly. Uh, okay, excellent. Exactly. Um, what, well, you're, we're back again, once again, at South by Southwest. What are you doing here this year? So this year I'm actually not on any panels, but I was a judge on the South by Southwest Accelerator, so I'm really, oh, really great. excited mm -hmm. to be supporting other startups and other organizations that are thinking creatively about media. Um, there are some sessions that I'm super excited to go to. Obviously, there's a tablet session this afternoon that's mm -hmm. like high on my list. But this year, I'm really, really looking forward to just meeting with people, talking to them about Symbolia, and not having to present. Uh, believe me, and I'm doing a panel too, so I, I know how you feel, because I'm, I'm not really ready for it just yet. Uh, okay. One thing I did want to ask you, some of the artists that will be in the next, uh, oh, yeah, in the next issue. So in the next issue, Andy Warner, Cat uh, mm -hmm. Fajardo, and Audrey Quinn are back again. Uh, they published that great piece about the Congo in our first issue. They're doing the piece on the sex bots. Uh, Matt Bores and Sarah Merck, the new web editor of Bidge Magazine, are, um, they're contributing a piece um, based on some work from a forthcoming book that Sarah's putting together. Great. And this is terrific. So actually, why don't we uh, close out by telling us a little bit about your your staff and the uh, and your co-founder. Sure. So we are a very small staff. We're a lean startup. It's me and Joyce. Uh, Joyce That's and Joyce Rice. Joyce mm -hmm. Rice, yep. Uh, Joyce is a very, very gifted uh, illustrator and cartoonist who also has a great deal of experience developing interactive content. Uh, she's a talented teacher as well, and she's done a really great job of working with all of our creators to think strategically about creating really immersive stories, like helping mm -hmm. it become something that's a really great user experience. All right. All right. Terrific. So, uh, live uh, from South by Southwest, uh, <laughs> Aaron Polgren. Thanks yeah. so much, Calvin. You bet. Tune in for part two of our South by Southwest special. In the next part, Calvin interviews David Steinberger of Comixology, and Heidi and I return to the news of the day.